Morning, we're in John 7 again this morning. Uh, and again, what you'll see from the reading, and, and if you've been reading on, you'll, you'll have noticed again, there's a lot of confusion about Jesus and who, who Jesus is claiming to be. But really what I want to do this morning is focus in on a couple of verses, verses 37 through to 39. And that's what we'll be looking at this morning. That's where we'll be focusing our attention this morning, verses 37 through 39, because I think in, in the midst of all of this confusion about Jesus and who he is and who he's saying he is, and who, people are trying to make their minds up about who he is, and Jesus then comes out with these words that are really, really important. They're, they're like just this little nugget of gold in the middle of all of this confusion. Jesus gets up on the last day of this feast and makes this claim again, and makes an invitation. Let me read it, just, we'll, we'll just read it again, these, these verses, and then we'll, we'll get into what they say. On the last day of the feast, verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus stands up and makes this invitation and says this. If anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts. And John tells us here in the gospel that Jesus stands up on this last day of the great day of the feast, and he cries out to this crowd who are thirsty, come to me and drink. And I think it's really important, I, I, I covered it just a little bit last week, and I'm going to cover it again today. It's, it's really, really important that we understand some of the context of the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, so that we get the significance of what Jesus is saying here. As I said last week, this was a, a favorite occasion for the Jews. Uh, this was a highlight of their calendar year, so much so that it became known as just the feast or the festival. And as I say, I think we need to grasp the significance of this to understand the context of what Jesus said. It was instituted by God in his law. In Leviticus chapter 23, it, it's, it was this annual reminder on the 15th day of the seventh month of the year, and it lasted for eight days. And it was a reminder of God's provision for the people uh, of leading them out of Egypt and, and leading them out of bondage and leading them into freedom and giving them the promised land. And this was a reminder of that, a continual reminder, a yearly reminder where they would take this week to remember God's provision and God's deliverance, how he had kept them through the wilderness experience. We're not that long out of Exodus, so you'll, you'll remember this journey that the people went on. Each year, the people would come to this week, and they would make these makeshift tents, booths. They would stay in these. They would live in them to remind themselves of how the, the people had lived through the Exodus. And as they did this, and as they lived in these makeshift booths, tents, whatever you want to call them, uh, this was a way to stop this was a way to just stop everything else that would be going on in their busy lives as, as 
We can understand everyone's lives are, are busy. This was a way just to hit the pause button and stop and remember God and what, remember what God had done for the people of Israel. It was a Sabbath week, a time to rejoice, a time to be with God's people, a time to be in God's presence. A time to remember where God had planted them in the promised land. But also a time to remember that they were continual pilgrims. That they were just passing through. That these tents, these makeshift booths were a reminder of that. They were, they were portable. They were, they were makeshift. They were expendable. They were sojourners, pilgrims through this time. So God had set this feast up in Leviticus, this remembrance. And, and I know this is a bit of an ask for you, for you but, but if any of you can remember back to our series in Nehemiah, I know that is a bit of an ask, uh, but we read about this feast in Nehemiah. It was, it, it, there's a passage there, and it comes between a list of names, and, and, and we know that we love those. Uh, but it was a passage about this feast, and, and, the, and the people were, were coming back to, to, out of exile, coming back to the land, and they were reinstituting this feast, this festival, this, this time, this Sabbath, this rest. It was a real time of revival for God's people. And so what we have, just follow the timeline, we have God instituting this feast then the people were taken into exile and then they come back from exile and they reintroduce this feast into the calendar into the jewish calendar and this was the time obviously jesus hadn't arrived yet and when they brought this feast back when they reinstituted this feast they added something to it the priests added an element to the feast to the festival and what was that this was what it was, and this is a significant part of the context of what Jesus is saying today. The priests add an element. The element was this. On each day of the seven days, the priests would go out to the pool of Siloam. They would gather some water into golden vessels. They would bring them to the temple, singing songs and worshiping and praising God, and they would pour these vessels of water out on the foot of the altar. It was a symbolism, again, of the exodus, of symbolism of God providing water for his people throughout the journey of the exodus. Remember, God provided water out of the rock. So here we have, think of the timeline, the exodus. God institutes this feast, this festival, this week of Sabbath. Then the people go into exile and then they come back again and they reinstitute this feast, this, this week of Sabbath. And, and the priests introduce this new element to it where they go and get water out of the pool of Siloam. And then they come and they sing and they worship and they, they, they pour out this water at the foot of the altar. And there was one day in the feast where they didn't do this. And it was on the eighth day, the last day. The last day where they didn't have this water ceremony. And Jesus gets up on the last day of the feast, where there is no water ceremony, and says, if anyone is thirsty, come to me. 
come to me. You see what he's doing? You see what he's doing? He is associating himself. He's pointing towards the people. He's saying, come to me. I'm the only one that can satisfy. He's linking himself with this water ceremony at the Feast of Tabernacles. And in the absence of water on that day, he is saying, I am the only water that can satisfy you. And he invites him to come and drink. Now, it's pretty clear from the context of our passage that Jesus is not talking about physical thirst. But he's talking about the thirst that we have, all of us have thirst in our lives for, 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 for loads of things. And I'm going to list them out in a moment, the thirsts that we have. But it refers to something deeper, our deeper needs, our deeper desires, our, our spiritual thirst, our craving, our longing, our yearning. So you see what's happening here. And that's why the context is so important. There's so much more meaning to this text than what it actually just, on the surface, if you, if you know all that context about the Old Testament, what, what, what happened, and right through, and here Jesus stands up and says, if anyone thirsts, come to me. And Jesus knows this. If anyone knows this, Jesus knows it. We all thirst. We all, to a one, thirst. The reality for us is real physical thirst is something that we're not overly used to. Sure it's not. In the West, we've become accustomed to, to luxuries such as running water. You go to the kitchen or, or the bathroom and, and there's running water and, and it's something that we're not used to. If you want something, if you want to drink, you go and drink. We're not used to that physical thirst. We have any amount of water. One of, one of the most one of the best things I can remember about being in, in our, our trips to Uganda uh, when Ringo and myself went was, so you'd been working all day, you'd been working at the schools and stuff all day, and it'd been dry and it'd been warm. But sometimes, just sometimes, and it would have been, oh, so good. And this is maybe where my addiction to Coke came from, as in the Coca-Cola. Just let's be clear. Just, so, live stream. Uh, Coca-Cola. Uh, but in the evenings, some of the evenings, we, we, there was a freezer. Mark, you'll know this too. And they would have come and they would have brought glass bottles, glass bottles of Coke or Fanta or whatever. And it was like honey. I'm not joking. It was awesome. Maybe that's where it came from. I'm not so sure. But that quenched the thirst. That quenched, just one small glass bottle of Coke would have quenched our thirst. But under normal circumstances, we're not used to this. We're not used to being thirsty physically. We're not familiar with the kinds of conditions that lead to being thirsty physically. And yet every single one of us are very used to the conditions that lead us to thirst of other kinds. All of us have experienced great need, an aching desire, a sense of emptiness, We've all experienced that. We've all experienced this feeling that something is missing. All of us have experienced the feeling that something is missing. 
And there's this thirst. You're in here this morning and you've come in here. And the circumstances of your life are all different. Every single one in this room's circumstances are different. But I guarantee you now that every single one in this room come in here this morning thirsty. Thirsty for peace, for joy, for acceptance, for significance. We thirst for relationships. We thirst for good relationships. We thirst for our friendships to be deep. We thirst for our, our relationships to have harmony. We, we know the we know what it is to thirst. We know we, we thirst for fulfillment in our work. We, first, we thirst for to have something to do that gives us significance so that, we can, so that we can find some sort of way in which to use the gifts and the talents that God has given us to make a difference in the world. We thirst for that. We thirst to be appreciated for that. We thirst to, to meet our needs and the needs of our family. We thirst for that. We thirst for a sense of purpose. We thirst for health and vitality. We thirst for a sound body and a sound mind. We thirst for healing for certain sicknesses. We thirst for life itself. We all thirst. And I don't know what your thirst is this morning. You only know that. Maybe you don't even know it. Maybe you're in here this morning and there's that aching sense of, 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 of there's something. There's, not, there's something that I'm not, I, there's something missing. Maybe you don't even know what it is. But there's thirst. There's real thirst. And you see, one of our problems is that there's so many things competing to fulfill our thirst. Prophet Isaiah said this in Isaiah 55. He says, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? That's the challenge for us, isn't it? That's the challenge for us as we go about our daily lives to, to, to avoid the, the things that are competing for our affections, to avoid the things that are competing to fulfill us that don't last. You see, just as, just as we have unlimited resources and that we go to the tap and the water comes on and we, 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 we can physically quench our thirst, so it is in the world today where there is unlimited comp- competitors to fill your, your aching, your desire, your, your need. Whether it be a new house, whether it be a bigger bank balance, whether it be a, a new relationship, whether it be the next social event, whether it be the next uh, friendship group, whether it be whatever, whatever it is, the newest activity, whatever it is, they are all competing for this one thing. They are all competing to, fil- to try to fulfill that need which they can never do. Which they can never do. It is a chasing after the wind. The 
They appear to meet our needs. They appear to offer satisfaction. And they never do. Even Isaiah would say, don't waste your time on things that will not satisfy you and cannot satisfy you. See, this is the reality. We all thirst. And we all, we all, let's just be honest. If we could be honest, it would be really good. We all try to quench that thirst with things that don't count and can never satisfy. I think the first helpful step for us all is to try and identify what that is. What is that for you? What are you trying to fill this gap with? What are you trying to satisfy that thirst with? And I guarantee you this is different for every single one of us. But you're susceptible somewhere. You are susceptible somewhere to try to fill that gap, quench that thirst with something that will not satisfy. And Jesus stands this morning as he stood at the last day of the feast and says this, come to me and drink. Come to me and drink. It says in verse 37, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. This is an invitation to everyone who is there. Think about that. Who's there? There are people who are trying to kill Jesus there. And he offers this invitation. There are people who really want nothing to do with Jesus, who are just there because of the festival, because it's the thing to do, because it was the good Jewish thing to do. There are those who are there out of tradition, who are not really just, they're just there. They're just hearing this guy talk. And he's saying to them, come to me and drink. So there's people who want to kill Jesus. There's people who don't really care. Then there's Jesus' disciples. They're there as well. And, and he's saying to them, come to me and drink. There would have been those who knew the scriptures there. There would have been those who knew their Bibles. There would have been those who were, maybe the penny was dropping in what Jesus was doing. And, and on this day where there was no water, Jesus is saying, come to me and drink. What? There's significance in that. There's those there. But it's an invitation. It's an invitation. As I said, it was an invitation to Jesus' disciples as well. They had followed him. They had witnessed all that he had done. But maybe they still doubted. Maybe they still struggled to believe. Maybe they struggled with doubt and disappointment. Maybe they were tired. Maybe they were failing. And Jesus says, come to me and drink. And the significance of that invitation is this, and this alone, is the source of the supply. And that's Jesus. 
We all thirst. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. And I want to say to you this morning, if you're in here this morning, and I never want to take this for granted. I never want to take for granted, and sometimes I do, I'll be honest. I never want to take it for granted that everyone here has come to Jesus. So maybe you're in here today and you've never come to Jesus, actually. You've tried everything else. You've, you've, you've tried to fill that gap. You've tried to quench that thirst. You've tried to do that thing. And, and you've never actually come to Jesus. The invitation to you this morning is come to him. Come to Jesus and drink. He is the only one that can satisfy. Hear his invitation. Trust him. Come to him. His invitation is for you this morning. Come to me and drink. But what about if you have been following Jesus? And you felt dissatisfied. You felt disillusioned. You are tired. You are fed up. You are, to put it in our terms, sick of it. What's Jesus' invitation to you this morning? It's exactly the same. Come to me. Come to me. Rely on me. Find refreshment in me. Jesus is the only one. The only one who can satisfy that desire. You see, what John is doing for us here in this gospel, and what Jesus is doing as he makes this invitation, is he's saying this. Think about all these festivals in the Old Testament. Think about all these feasts in the Old Testament. Think about all the law in the Old Testament. Jesus, John is showing us, and Jesus is demonstrating this. I fulfill it all. I am the only one who fulfills all of this stuff. I am the only one who can then supply your needs. Are you struggling to believe this morning? Are you struggling to believe in Jesus even? Well, here's good news for you. Jesus is the only true believer. Jesus is the only one who doesn't struggle with belief. And so this is, a, this is a safe space to struggle with belief. Because we all do. He's the only one that doesn't. He's the only one that has kept the law perfectly. Are you struggling with sin this morning? Are you struggling with the fact that your life doesn't match up with what you say you believe? Anybody know? Anybody? Yep. Just Marcus and me. That's brilliant. I'm just, going to go just the elders. <laughs> Cracking. We're, in the, we're heading in a good direction. Just the other. He's the only one that's kept the law perfectly. You cannot. I cannot. And he stands in our place and says, come to me because I'm the only one that can. Come to me.
Jesus offers this living water, this life-giving, thirst-quenching water. And Scripture talks about this over and over again, this, this life-giving. Remember the woman at the well? What was the issue? Thirst. If you look back through the Old Testament, you'll see this, this water. This water is this like uh, symbol of God's presence. It's a symbol of God's goodness. It's a symbol of his sustaining power. The psalmist in Psalm 46 says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Zechariah prophesies about living waters that shall flow out of Jerusalem. Ezekiel in, 30, in chapter 47 talks about this stream that comes out of the temple. And in this vision that Ezekiel has, the stream, it becomes deeper and deeper and deeper. First it's ankle deep, then it's knee deep, then it's waist deep. And then it becomes a river that you can swim in and it flows down into the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea becomes fresh again. And the banks are full of trees and all sorts of fruits and leaves and healing. There's this vision in Scripture of this water that is, that is going to bring life. All throughout Scripture, this vision of water that's going to bring life. And Jesus says, it's me. It's me. Jerusalem is somewhat unique in all the major cities in the world. Uh, noteworthy cities in that it does not have a river. Jerusalem doesn't have a river. That's why in Scripture the people look forward so much to the day where there will be a river. This living water. And Jesus says, it's me. But what does it mean? All these things are really, really, they sound good. And you can go out of here today and you can be like, right, okay, what, what, do, you, what do you hear about in church today? And you can be like, oh, Jesus, living water. Mm-hmm, sounds good. And we should go to Jesus and drink because he's the only one that can satisfy. And, and that sounds really good. But what does it mean? What does it mean for us to leave here today and actually drink of Jesus? What does it mean? What does it look like? Well, not to oversimplify it. I don't think you can oversimplify it. It's simply this. It is continual repentance and faith. That's it. It is continual repentance and faith. That's what, that's what drinking of Jesus looks like. It is a continual seeing our sin, turning away from, confessing our sin, turning away from our sin to, to faith in Jesus. Trusting in that he provides for us. Trusting in that he's the only one who's fulfilled the law for us. Trusting in that he forgives us. That's what it looks like. It's really simple. Repentance and faith. And what Jesus is doing this morning, as he does in this passage, is he's inviting us in and saying, come to me. Come to me. Trust him. Trust his word. Trust his promises. Pray. Trust him. Trust what he's done. That you're forgiven. Trust what the scripture says. 
for example, in Romans, we're talking about it this morning, that we were praying through it this morning in the prayer before we practiced as a band. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember that. Trust that. That's what it looks like to drink on Jesus. And so the invitation is extended to you today again. Whatever you're trying to fill that thirst with. And only you know that. Stop. Stop. Pause. Know that it will never, ever satisfy you. That you will always be running after it. That you will always be chasing after the wind. Pause and turn to Jesus. And then to finish this section off, Jesus makes this wonderful promise. In 38 and 39, he says, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, I said that about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not been glorified. So we come to Jesus, we are satisfied in him. We're satisfied. But not only that, then that in turn should flow out of us to those around us. We talk, one of our core values in Cornerstone Church is being kingdom carriers. And what is that? What is that? That's, that, that's what this looks like. So not only are we satisfied in Christ, we love Jesus, we are satisfied by him alone, but then that flows out of us to those around us. We're not satisfied just to keep that satisfaction to ourselves. But we're to live lives that are like this conduit that, that flows from Jesus through us to the world. To the world. And so I have two questions as we close. Two evaluation questions for us. And they're really simple. And they're really convicting. We love that, don't we? We love to be convicted. I've talked about this before. We love to be convicted and go away and do nothing about it. We're all in for that. It's good. I've said this before. Genuinely, I've said this before. I don't get comments about sermons, but the, the, the comments I get about sermons are like the hardest sermons and the most convicting ones. They're like, oh, good sermon today. It's a good sermon. Right, two questions. Are you satisfied in Jesus? Simple. Go home. Think about your life. And ask yourself that question. Are you satisfied in Jesus? And does your life look like that? That's two questions in one. Second question. Is that satisfaction flowing to those around you? Is that satisfaction flowing to those around you? Jesus says, come to me and drink. Come to me and drink. That's the source. That's the start. We can't do anything in and of ourselves. 
just reminded again by this passage that, that the only thing, the only productive, good, right thing that comes out of us is produced by the Holy Spirit. Can't do it ourselves. The source must be Him. Are we satisfied in Jesus? And is that flowing out to others? Let me pray. Father, uh, we thank you for your word. And today, Father, I pray, I really do pray, that through the person of the Holy Spirit, you would encourage your children. Encourage us to come to Jesus. Encourage us because we're thankful that he is the only one that can satisfy us, but we're also thankful that he is the only one who can stand before you. Having not broken the law, having fulfilled all righteousness in our place. We thank you that the perfect spotless Lamb of God was given for us in our place. Father, I pray that you would encourage your children with that this morning. Help them to flee to Jesus for rest, for provision, for grace. That's in his beautiful name I pray. Amen. Uh, just even thinking about that there now as I pray, just the fact that the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, Jesus, was given for, for us. It's just an amazing thought. And we'll sing a song now called Jerusalem. It talks about talks about Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross and him not breathing anymore and him him being dead. And that's the reality of the cross. That's just the reality of the cross. Christ Jesus died for us. And so as we come to communion, as we come to think about his body which was broken and his blood that was shed, let's do so with thankful hearts. Realizing that we're all in here and we're all still thirsty. And he satisfies our thirst. And he has satisfied the thirst of the Father in giving his life for us. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, by all means, eat the bread, drink the cup, remember Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I lovingly ask that you don't take communion with us this morning. It wouldn't make sense for you to do so. But consider, consider what I said. Have you ever come to Jesus? If not, why not? He's the only one that can fulfill every need you have. Please consider. Let's worship.